We're going to be in Acts chapter number 2 this morning. I was thinking about the message here this morning as I was discerning what the Lord would have me to do. We preached through the book of John, and now we're uh, just slowly uh, getting ready to go through the book of Acts. And I know as a pastor, I realize that there are a lot of special events that take place throughout the year that uh, in many cases require focusing a Sunday morning service or a message on that particular event. But it seems like as time goes on, there's just more and more. There's Veterans Day, there's Easter, there's Christmas, there's um, others. Seems like every time I turn around, there's a special... Uh, a special holiday, Mother's Day, Father's Day. I knew there, I was missing some important ones there, but it seems like there's always kind of a special event. And as a pastor, uh, I feel sometimes that those special events that kind of somewhat put pressure on me to choose what I'm going to preach are just always kind of crowding out some other truths that I feel that God would have me to preach. So even though this is Fourth of July weekend, I do not feel led of the Lord today to preach a patriotic message. I will from time to time. I certainly have in the past, but I I believe that the Lord wants us to just stay on track here this morning and continue as we go through the book of Acts. So uh, if you would, look with me at Acts chapter number 2 and beginning in verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. If you recall from last week's message, we saw the beginning of Acts chapter number 1 that the Lord told them to do this. He said, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on on high. And then he said, I want you to go and preach to the uttermost part of the earth and so forth. And so the disciples are obeying what the Lord has told them to do. They're in one accord, in one place. And verse 2 says, and suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. These are the devout men, the Jews from every nation. Keep in mind that every Jew is not necessarily someone that was living in what we would call the land of Israel today. Over the centuries, because of Israel's disobedience to the Lord, the Jews had been scattered throughout all of the world under the um, Babylonian captivity, the Assyrian captivity, under the Grecian Empire, under the Medo-Persian Empire, and now under the Roman Empire. And so these men all come together. And they are just amazed because they heard the apostles all speaking to them in their own language. In verse number 7, they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? If you'll recall, Galilee was an area of blue-collar fishermen. Just uh, plain old working men, working class people. 
this wasn't uh, an area of higher education or learning or uh, necessarily noted for intellectual capacity. They knew that these men were just common fishermen. And so they were amazed that they were speaking all these different languages. How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And then verse number 9 says, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya around Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. All these different nationalities and, and languages, they said, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? So you got many that are saying, what, what's going on? This is, they are amazed and wow, how did they do that? And others, verse 13, are mocking and said, these men are full of new wine. Now that these men that they're referring to are not the apostles, they're the men that are gathered together and saying, wow, we're, we're amazed because we hear them speaking in our own tongues. They go, oh, these men are full of new wine. And you say, well, what, what do they mean by that? Well, new wine in the scripture is grape juice. It's unfermented alcohol. And so you say, well, why would they think that these men are drunken, full of new wine? Well, this is a sarcastic statement. I mean, in modern days, you know what we would say? We wouldn't say, oh, they're full of new wine. You know what we would say today? We'd say, what are you smoking? That's in essence what's taking place here. Oh, these men are full of new wine. Verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m. by the way. But this is that which was spoken by Joel the prophet. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'd like to speak to you you this morning on the subject, removing the controversy of the charismatic movement. Join me in prayer. Father, it's good to be in your house today. We realize, Lord, that the message here this morning is a very doctrinal, theological, uh, a very uh, 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 teaching type of message. But Lord, I believe that it's relevant. I believe that it's important. And sadly, because of the controversy, often it is overlooked and 
uh, perhaps maybe uh, avoided for uh, sake of not wanting to stir up controversy. Father, you know our heart here this morning that it is certainly not our desire or intent to create controversy, but I believe that the controversy already exists. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to faithfully and uh, accurately represent the Word of God. We pray, Father, that you'd help us to be a good shepherd, a good pastor, and to teach your people knowledge and understanding. We pray for these here this morning that are perhaps new Christians or perhaps have never been saved. Lord, we certainly uh, don't want to distract them from the most important thing that they need to know. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would lead us and guide us today as we preach and teach the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was probably, I'm guessing, about 1988. I worked for Ingalls Warehouse in Black Mountain, just uh, really about an hour, hour and 15 minutes from here. As I was working at this warehouse, we would work part-time after work unloading tractor-trailer trucks. We would work actually for the truck driver. We'd sit in the break room. Our name would be on a list. And if it was your turn and a truck driver came in to deliver a load to the warehouse, it was up to the truck driver whether they wanted to unload their own truck or if they wanted to pay us to unload it for them. They called it lumping. Lumping trucks. How many of you ever heard that term before? All right. Well, part-time after work, I was a lumper, which kind of makes sense because my whole life, my mom always said, you can like it or lump it. So I always lumped it. Well, a truck driver came in, and he was an interesting-looking fellow. He was uh, not real tall, pretty stocky, had kind of a burly beard, and hanging around his neck was a necklace of a very large wooden cross, probably maybe about five or six inches tall. This wasn't just a um, kind of, um, this was very, very visible. Well, I'm in Bible school at that time. I'd been right with the Lord uh, maybe a year or two, and I'm learning, and I'm growing, and I'm learning how to witness. And I'd always heard uh, preachers and different people give a testimony of how they would uh, find somebody that they thought were a Christian and they would, or somebody would witness to them and they would act as if they were not saved and start asking questions just to see what the other person had to say. I had heard other people talk about that. So I thought, this guy started to kind of witness to me. And I thought, well, I'm going to do that. I'm just going to ask questions and let him tell me what he wants to say and just kind of see where this goes. And so that's what I did. I, I never lied to him. I just started asking questions. But in all honesty, I did ask like I, I did act like I didn't know what he was all about. And so he started witnessing to me. And uh, just a few minutes into the conversation, I became blessed by what he was saying. Uh, I mean, he was giving me gospel truth, and I thought, wow, this is great. And so I thought, well, this is uh, this is really going well, so I better reveal myself and my identity. And I said, sir, I said, I just want you to know I appreciate you witnessing to me because... Um, I mean, it just encouraged my heart. And when I did that, I thought he was going to be so excited that I was 
actually his brother in Christ, but nothing could be further from the truth. His face turned red, veins popped out in his neck, and he looked at me and he said, you blaspheme the Holy Ghost. And I thought, whoa, I didn't know what to do with that. And uh, I, I was very, very taken back by his reaction. And so I tried to calmly say, sir, I said, I didn't mean any, I didn't mean to deceive you. I said, I just, I said, I don't have people witness to me very often. I said, I witness to people, but I said, I wanted to hear what you had to say. And so I just wanted you to witness to me. Well, come to find out that this gentleman was uh, very, very adamant about the charismatic movement. And as we focus our attention back on our text, we read here about this prophecy that the Lord had given the disciples about the Holy Ghost showing up. And what we just read about is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the result of that, at least the first immediate result of that baptism of the Holy Ghost, was the speaking in tongues. This has been a great controversy for many, many years, but particularly the charismatic movement, uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, Wikipedia says that the modern charismatic movement began in 1960, and they attribute it to several different men, and then the Roman Catholic Church jumped on board in 1967, at least a pretty large faction of the Roman Catholic Church. We taught on this subject of tongue speaking uh, for two different Sunday nights back in August of 2018. Obviously, for one Sunday morning message, I'm not going to be able to go into all of the details of the Bible teaching on tongues. But if you'd like to get those CDs, I'm sure that you can tell them, tell the men back there in the sound booth and they'll be able to um, uh, find those and uh, make some copies and give you what we taught a little bit more extensively. I'd like to say this, the devil uses controversy to distract from what God is trying to teach us. A lot of times we try to avoid controversy. Some people avoid it when they ought to speak up. And then there are others that no doubt stir up more controversy than ought to be stirred up. And uh, that's always been the case throughout all of church history. Not all good men agree on everything. Wouldn't you agree? Don't argue with me. There's never been a time in the history of the church, for that matter, in the history of the human race, when there hasn't been controversy. The controversy between the Republicans and the Democrats is raging high today, at least if the news media is even telling 1% of the truth. We know that there are a lot of dividing lines and differences of philosophy of life and opinions and so forth. And uh, there's always going to be controversy. Sadly, in the church, God's people, there has always been controversy as well. I read in the Scripture how that there was, at a time, there was a controversy between the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. There was a time when there was a controversy between other of the apostles. But you know what? They always sat down and talked about it and prayed about it and eventually found the mind of God because they were more, they were more concerned about God's glory than being right. 
controversy should always come out of a desire to serve and to please God, not out of a desire to be right. That's pride. That's ego. And nothing good ever comes out of human pride. Practically everyone uses the Bible to teach their doctrines. I mean, there are some pretty damnable doctrines that are taught among Christendom that people use the Bible in order to teach their doctrine. But like one preacher said, he must have got that out of the Bible because it sure ain't in the Bible. And so anyone can take and pull verses out of context, but the bottom line is the devil does indeed use controversy to distract us from what God is trying to teach us. That doesn't mean that all controversy is bad or evil. There is a time when the Scripture says that we need to earnestly contend for the faith. There are times when we need to speak up for the Lord Jesus Christ, discerning between the things that we need to fight for and the things that we need to leave in God's hands. That's another story. But what I'd like to do here this morning for the few minutes that we have is I'd like to focus not just on the controversy, but rather on the relevant facts that surround the controversy. The things that get lost, the things that get set aside, the things that I'm getting ready to show you are absolute. They're facts. They are not opinions. The first one that I'd like to bring out here this morning, number one, is that the Holy Ghost shows up conditionally. Sister Diller sang a song, there's no other word for grace but amazing. The word grace is unmerited favor. We are saved by God's unmerited favor. Thank God He sent Jesus Christ to die for sinners. That's unconditional. Thank God for that. But the Holy Ghost showing up and what the disciples experienced was indeed very conditional. Look with me once again at verse number 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. You know, the Holy Spirit of God will show up at a time and at a place. I, re I read about revivals in the last 2,000 years, revivals in America, revivals in Wales, revivals in Scotland, revivals in Europe. Times when the Holy Spirit of God showed up and melted the hearts of hardened sinners, led and convicted of sin, and showed people that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Man, that is a powerful, powerful thing when God shows up and awakens our hearts to righteousness, condemns our inner man for our sinfulness. Human nature is complacent. We go through this life, we commit a sin, lightning doesn't strike, so we think everything's okay. So we commit another sin, and our hearts get harder and harder and harder. Till pretty soon our hearts are so hard that the Holy Spirit, the preaching of the Word of God is like water on a duck's back. That's happening in America all over the place. All over the place. You know what we need. We need the Holy Spirit of God to show up. 
Because only He can strive with the human spirit. Only He can open up our eyes. He does it, yes, through the gospel. He does it through preaching. But there is a time when the Holy Spirit shows up. Wouldn't you hate for God to show up in a special, mighty, powerful way in a church service and you're watching a ball game at home? Wouldn't you? I mean, how would you feel about that if you missed out on something that was only going to happen one time and it radically transformed people's lives, Christians' lives, and turned their lackadaisical, apathetic Christian life into a life of vibrancy and passion and peace and joy and happiness? You say, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's revival, folks. I am certain that the Holy Spirit wants to bring revival. But I have to say that the Holy Ghost showing up is very conditional. These disciples were all there. They were where God told them to be, when God told them to be there, and they were all of one accord. They had a shared purpose, and that purpose was to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. If we were to take the time and to study those surrounding verses of Ephesians 4.30, we would see that the Bible says that we should put aside all anger and wrath and bitterness and strife and evil speaking all of that complaining, all of that sexual perversion, all of those things that grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. Thank God we are secure. If we're born again, we're on our way to heaven, but we can grieve Him in the process. Why? Because He's inside of us. And our spirit and His spirit have been joined together the moment that we got saved. And it's a horrible way to live, to be living a life where we're continually grieving the Holy Spirit. Yes, He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But I tell you what the Bible also says, it says if we defile the temple of God, Him God will destroy. You say, that sounds pretty serious. What, are you trying to scare us? Give us a guilt trip, preacher? No, sir, no, ma'am. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. If you're a born-again Christian, you're eternally secure, but you think that you can just sin as much as you want and still go to heaven, you've missed the boat somewhere. You haven't went through the same process of regeneration that I went through, I can tell you that right now. Getting the Holy Spirit of God inside will change you when it comes to sin in your life. You will feel grieved in a way that you cannot even understand, you cannot even describe, you cannot even tell people how you really feel. That's the Christian life of a born-again believer who is living outside of the will of God. He can be grieved, he can be quenched. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, quench not the Spirit. So, he's a person. We can grieve him, we can quench him. If we would 
have revival, if we would have the Holy Spirit to show up in a special way, to work in our hearts, to convict sinners of their sin, to encourage and to put joy and worship in our hearts, then we need to meet the conditions of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, the evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost. We just read a passage of Scripture that shortly after the Holy Spirit shows up and the disciples were filled with the Holy Ghost, the first thing that they did is they spoke in tongues. But that's history. That's documentation, but that is not doctrine. The charismatic movement says that that is the first evidence that you've truly been saved. And so people who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior that don't start acting the way that they act, then they assume that they've never been born again. You study the rest of the Bible and you find out the facts. I don't find anywhere where God says that for us today that that's exactly what's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, you've missed the boat. How can that be when the Apostle Paul deals with Christians and says everyone's got different gifts? He says quite clearly that not everybody had the gift of tongues back in those days. Here's what the Bible does say. The evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost is. Ephesians chapter 5 verse number 18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Alright, I'm filled with the Spirit. Here's going to be some characteristics of my life. It says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I remember when I first got right with the Lord and experienced the Holy Spirit in my life. Back before I got right with God, I used to listen to the world's music. I, uh, when I was, when I got away from God as a sophomore in high school, I started listening to all of the music that all of my friends and everybody else was listening to. Most of it was pretty much just uh, pop music, popular music, stuff that everybody listened to. And then I kind of graduated from there and started getting into the heavy metal stuff. I know some of you are going, I can't even imagine that preacher. Well, I say it, I'm, I'm not proud of that. I'm ashamed of that. But I will say this, as a young man there, when I first started listening to it, there was something inside of me that was just kind of, it kind of scared me a little bit. It, it, there was just something that I knew that that was evil. But I started ignoring that voice of that being evil, and I started more and more trying to get into it, because all of my friends were getting into it. Until pretty soon... I didn't see it as much as evil. But then the Holy Spirit continued to convict me and make me miserable. I wasn't wanting to get right with God. I still loved the world. I loved everything about it. It was bringing me pleasure. It was bringing me popularity. And I liked that. But I was miserable when I was all by myself with no distraction. Sometimes I'd be... I'd come home from being out with my buddies. I'd lay on my bed and I would just be feeling so guilty and so dirty and so rotten. Back then we didn't have earbuds. We had the big full headphones. 
and you'd have to have a long cord to reach your stereo. And so I'd put on my music and that would drown out that conviction. It would drown out that guilt. But boy, that guilt and that conviction continued. And then I started getting in some trouble. Then my sin and my love of the world, the world started, I started finding out that, wow, uh, there's some consequences here. This is kind of not going as well as I thought. I love the world, but the world doesn't seem to love me back. And when my sin started causing me some problems and the Holy Spirit's convicting me of that sin, you know what I started doing? I started kind of plea bargaining with God. I said, okay, God, I'm going to, I'm going to give up this evil heavy metal. And I started listening to country music. Now don't get icy cold on me. Hey, I love you, brother and sister. It's still the world's music, and you know it. Okay? And I will say this, that at first, I felt a little bit better about it. I felt that it wasn't the evil, you know, it wasn't like the, uh, uh, you know, the, the heavy metal and all of the satanic and singing about hell and all of that. But I noticed that almost all the songs had something to do with alcohol. Or adultery. And it's just constantly, it's like I'm singing songs about all of this stuff. And you know what? Little by little, that conviction started coming back. And I started realizing this isn't pleasing. I I thought I could plea bargain and just pick and choose. Well, I'll take a milder form of the world. But eventually, the Holy Spirit saying, it's still the world. When I got right with the Lord... God gave me a new song. Some of those songs that just seemed kind of trivial and didn't seem like anything, man, all of a sudden, I'm singing them. I remember at Brother Runyon's church, he would, you know, they'd have time where they'd sing some choruses and do little kids' choruses. Uh, They'd have a penny march before every Sunday school class, kind of like what we do with the vacation Bible school, a little bit different. But uh, Sister Lynn would get on the piano and play Onward Christian Soldiers. All the kids would bring their pennies and we'd have that penny march. But we'd always sing some, sing some choruses. I remember, my Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow strength. I, I can't sing the rest of it. My family's like, praise God. It's going to stop. But I remember singing those children's songs. Wow, it was just so invigorating spiritually. You know what that was? That was an evidence of the Holy Spirit. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we sing these precious hymns, it's going to mean something to our heart. Now, if you can stand here and sing during our congregation and it just never speaks to your heart, well, there you have it. It's an evidence that maybe I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. And so maybe I need to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
If you have a problem with authority or submission or pride, that is an evidence that the Holy Spirit is not filling your heart and your life. Furthermore, Galatians 5, verse number 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. These are nine fruit singular of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God is filling us, these manifestations are just going to come out in our life. We're not going to have to be trying to muster it up and try. It's just going to come natural. Trying and working to try to be good and to be Christian, it will wear you down. Well, how do I accomplish it, preacher? Just yield to the Lord. Just put aside your desires and your wishes and just say, God, I want all of you. I don't just want part of you. I don't just want the part that I like, but I'm willing to just give it all to you. And I'm going to let you tell me what music you want me to listen to. I'm going to let you tell me how I ought to dress. I'm going to let you tell me whether I ought to go to church or a ball game. And these are just a few examples. I want you to tell me whether that language that I'm using is pleasing or honoring to you. I want you to tell me all of these things. And when we yield our will to Him, He starts giving us grace. I remember when I first got right with the Lord, what a joy and what a blessing it was to experience the Holy Spirit of God in my life. I I hadn't experienced him. I mean, all that I knew about him was he was constantly bothering me. I wonder how many of you as parents, you've raised children, especially teenagers, that you're thinking if if my son or if my daughter, if they would just yield... I mean, I've got so many blessings. There's so many things. Their life would be so much happier. And it's not because you want to control them. It's just because you know better and you know what's best for them. And they're just constantly butting heads and the whole relationship's out of whack. And it could be a time of blessing and joy and harmony and so many other things, but it just can't happen until... There is that heartfelt yielding, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, I'm not going to keep you long here this morning, and I mean that. I'm not going to be able to finish this lesson here this morning because I don't want to keep you long here today. But I tell you what we can do, because I believe that this is an important truth, then we're going to spend some time on this next week as well. But I would like to give you this second point before we close, and that is this. What we just read about here at Pentecost, I can say with all factual, no, I mean, this is not, this shouldn't be controversial. All we have to do is read what the Word of God says and believe it. But number two, this is not a baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. All right. So I'll take you to you can turn there or you can look on the screen. Matthew chapter number three. 
John the Baptist speaking, verse number 11, he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now I want you to notice in the text that there is a comma after the word Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, comma, and with fire. It's not speaking of the same thing or the same event. It's two different events. In fact, I would say before I reveal to you the very next verse, I'd like to say that you don't want the baptism of fire. Because verse number 12 says, this is the very next verse after John says, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and, and fire, with fire. He says, whose fan is in his hand and he will truly purge his floor gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the baptism with fire are two contrasting events. You don't want the baptism with fire. That's what's going to happen to you if you don't experience the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That spiritual regeneration. These cloven tongues that came down in verse number 3 of our text, it says these cloven tongues were like as fire. But it wouldn't be good Bible uh, interpretation to assume or to make that connection that just because those cloven tongues had the appearance of fire, that was not the baptism of fire because the Scripture and the text speaks for itself. If you would give me just a few more minutes here this morning, I'd like to at least give you point number three of the facts regarding the controversy around the charismatic movement. Number three, tongues are languages, not gibberish. Now, when I use the term gibberish, it is a dictionary word. I'm not saying it you know, sometimes in controversy, uh, we can use demeaning language that doesn't solve the controversy, it just provokes more controversy. I'm not using the term to sling mud at those that are proponents of the charismatic movement. And let me say this, I have known some charismatic Christians that were just precious believers that I enjoyed their fellowship. I'm not speaking against everyone who believes that. I'm speaking against the teaching and the doctrine itself. One thing I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that these tongues were not gibberish. Look at verse number 8. It says quite clearly, How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? The charismatic movement claims that when they speak in tongues, that they speak a heavenly language that is unknown to men. But the languages here are known languages. They are the languages of the Parthians, Mede, Elamites, Crete, and so forth. And so once again, to clarify the controversy, let's just stick to the facts. 
if we could, let's forget about anyone's experience because, hey, let's face it, experiences can be deceiving. I would hate to use experience as a final authority to base my life and doctrine on. Because what we experience isn't always according to the truth. And by the way, this controversy, while the charismatic movement traces its roots back to 1960, this is nothing new. You go back to the time of Whitfield and Wesley, there was a group of people called the Moravians. Many of them settled over in Winston-Salem. They were very much into experiences and the supernatural. And by their own doctrine, they said that our experience trumps the Word of God. The Bible says to try the spirits, whether they be of God. Anything that we experience or believe that contradicts this book, listen, we better make sure that we follow the book. You go over to the book of Revelation, you find out that the Antichrist is going to be an imitator. He's going to make a statue come to life. There's going to be healing going on. There's going to be all kinds of supernatural things. Just because it's supernatural doesn't mean that it came from God. And that's the book. That's not my opinion. That is the facts. So these tongues are languages. Now, if let me give you, this is my opinion, okay? It's okay to tell you my opinion as long as I preface it with this is my opinion. In my opinion, what we read about here at Pentecost with the disciples was not as many teach or say that this is a total reversal of the Tower of Babel. This is my opinion. I, I, not, I'm not being dogmatic about this. I believe that the hearers who are hearing, they are questioning the disciples' pedigree and education. Verse number 7 makes that clear. They're not recognizing some supernatural occurrence. So I don't believe that one of the disciples was out speaking and that their language, that their tongue was going into 12 different languages all at the same time. I believe that the Holy Spirit of God was giving utterance. Perhaps maybe Peter's over here and the Holy Spirit's giving him utterance to speak in the language of the Cretes because there's Cretans in front of him. At the same time over here, maybe Andrew is preaching and he's preaching in the language of the Parthians. And they're all in the similar vicinity, but each one is uttering a different language that the language, the tongue of the Parthians, is an unknown tongue to the Medes over here, or the Cretes over here, but it is not an unknown language on planet Earth. Why do you believe that? Well, I, I will say this, that if that is not the case, then what the Apostle Paul is dealing with at the church in Corinth is something totally different than what's going on here in Acts chapter number 2. So if you believe it's that this is a reversal of the Tower of Babel, then these tongues aren't even the same thing that Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Because Paul says that there needs to be an interpreter present. So 
Just something to think about. So these tongues are languages. One more, please. Please. (laughs) Number four. Jews are always present when tongues are spoken. No exceptions. Anytime that tongues are spoken, you will find a Jew present. You say, what is significant about that preacher? Because 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 22 says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. I'm going to leave you with this, and Lord willing, we'll pick up on this next week and go into some more things about the charismatic movement and what tongues are and what they're not. But one thing's for sure, it says the Jews require a sign. Anytime that the gospel is first presented to the Jew, there were always supernatural things that accompany it. But once the gospel message transitioned from the kingdom being offered to the Jew to the grace of God being offered to both Jew and Gentile alike, you find that there is no emphasis whatsoever on the supernatural apostolic manifestations that are taking place early on in the book of Acts. And that's why we need to be students of the Word of God. We need to rightly divide it. And that's why the devil is taking and creating so much controversy and so much confusion because we're not taking the whole Word of God into account. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, in all honesty, it doesn't matter what you believe about tongue speaking or charismatic movement. None of it's going to matter in all of eternity. And that's probably one reason why I'm always a little bit disappointed in people that gravitate toward this doctrine. It seems like that they become so infatuated with it that that's all they want to talk about. As we saw last week, the Holy Spirit does not draw attention to Himself. He always draws attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'd say to you here this morning, if you would be willing to just set Whatever controversy, if it's not a controversy over this, there's plenty of controversies that you can be distracted by. You can search them all on the internet. You can get millions of people's collective ignorance and you can decide who you're going to believe by who presents the best argument or you can just say, you know what? I may not understand everything about it, but I believe that the Word of God is the final authority. And while I haven't given you every truth and fact surrounding this controversy this morning, what I have given you is absolute, unarguable facts. Just those alone completely destroy the modern application of what goes on in the charismatic movement. And we've only scratched the surface on what the Word of God says. But if you're not saved, none of it's going to matter. You need to get your sins forgiven. And the only way that you can get your sins forgiven is by coming to God as a sinner, saying, God, I need to be saved. I need my sins forgiven. 
and putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, what He did on Calvary's cross, and His resurrection on the third day. That is the Gospel message. Don't let Satan take any controversy and distract you from the one thing that matters more than anything else, and that is the salvation of your soul. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for the Word of God, and we thank You, Lord, for giving us true doctrine. We live in a day and age where people, even God's people, are ignorant of the Scripture. Because of that, many have been deceived. Many are going by feelings. Many are going by factions, uh, trying to see what the majority believe. But God, we need to get back to the Word of God. We need to stand for it. And we need to, most importantly, have our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ and I just pray that you would take the Bible teaching and preaching that's went on here today, use it in hearts and minds for your glory and honor. If anyone here today does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, I pray that you would draw them to you. May they be saved before they leave this place today and go off into eternity. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Take a hymnal number 325 is our invitation song. Begin singing. If God spoke to your heart, you'd like to come and pray, we invite you to come. If you've got questions, we've got men and ladies that would be happy to pray with you, try to answer your questions, be a help and a blessing to you. But you have to come. As we sing, the altar is open. When we 